Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing. This is episode 593. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florist shops and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers. And to the farms that grow those blooms, it's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. And thank you to the Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education, for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important this year than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. I'm excited to reintroduce Tom Precht and Sarah Dakin, Maryland-based Slow Flowers members and owners of Grateful Gardeners. They're returning to the show today after I interviewed them for the Slow Flowers podcast in the fall of 2019 long before we added our video podcast, which, of course, we're also calling the vodcast. So at the time, we discussed the early chapters of Grateful Gardeners, when Tom and Sarah both had full-time off-farm careers that they were hoping to leave behind to grow flowers for both a living and a lifestyle. Well, lots has happened in the past few years, and Tom and Sarah joined me last week in the studio to record an update to share with you. This is a full-blown conversation, so I won't take too much time introducing my friends Sarah and Tom, but I will share just a paragraph from Sarah's January 1st blog post. She wrote, Dreams do come true. We knew we needed to expand if we were ever going to try to make flower farming our livelihood. But could we ever have imagined in less than a year it would mean selling our old house, buying a new one, moving thousands of perennials, building new fields, building a greenhouse, a pavilion, a walk-in cooler, and that we would spend over $300,000 in nine months, that we would win over $350,000 in grant money. Literally, you can't make this up. (laughs) So let's learn more and jump right in to meet Tom and Sarah. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Show with Deborah Prinzing. I'm so excited to have in the studio today Tom Precht and Sarah Dakin of Grateful Gardeners, return guests to the Slow Flowers podcast. How are you both today? We are excellent. Yeah, we're yeah, good. Always happy to be here with you. Yeah. Great way to start off the new year. Tom and I have been talking about this uh, for a while because so much has happened with Grateful Gardeners. In the past year, but also I think we had you on the podcast right before COVID, so maybe October of 2019 when I visited you mm-hmm. in Maryland. So yeah. fast forward, give everyone sort of a, a snapshot of where you're at now and um, all that you've accomplished in, since we had you on, in, what, three years ago? 
I remember actually you sitting in our living room and saying at the conclusion of our first podcast with you, which we were just like, what? We're on a podcast? And uh, Endeavor Printing's in our living room. You know, it's just surreal. <laughs> and, um, and, and you said, I just can't wait to catch up in a few years and see what's happening with Grateful Gardeners. And, you know... You right. just don't have you you don't have any idea at the time. You have no idea what that really is going to look like. You know, a, a crystal ball even could not have predicted what what really has happened in the last three right. years. So. But there was a little foreshadowing because Tom had some of his technology set up, I believe, yeah, and I was he was talking about something I'd never heard of before. So that mm -hmm. that's a big, uh, I guess, a big influence into what's what you've done in terms of having a new farm and all. So maybe we'll start with that. Um, from yeah. a farm behind the house you lived in, which was basically residential in yeah. suburban Maryland, yeah. to where are you now? We were on one acre um, in Boyd's, Maryland. Um, we had purchased my mom's house, uh, which was just a, a small rambler on a very small acreage. We had no idea what we were doing, and we were, I mean, it just... I feel like we've told this story a thousands of times, so it sometimes feels like it's just like, but it's real. Um, it's so relatable, though, Sarah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, we were still working full time jobs, and and we were trying to figure out like, could could this actually be something that we could do for a living? Um, who does this? We started meeting other farmers, and just slowly just fell in love. Well, pretty quickly fell in love, and pretty quickly realized that we needed to um, make some pretty serious changes if we were going to try to scale it in a way that we could actually earn a living. Um, so the year after you came in 2020, we actually had leased a space behind our house um, on a horse farm, about 25 I, acres. Yeah, I got to visit that too really quickly when I visited yeah. Holly Chapel. Yeah, yeah, it was a beautiful space and it was within walking distance of our, our, our backyard. Um, and it gave us the ability to produce probably twice as much product and then be able to then look at the numbers and see wow, what were we able to do once we had the space to do it? Hmm. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was, a, that was a, a proving ground. I mean, I think that whole old property was really a proving ground of, of, of things that, you know, were ambitious and innovative. And, you know, I think that that's something that Sarah and I have been doing from the beginning is, is really trying to think outside the box of, of how to flower farm, how to farm in general. Um, and, you know, right out, right out the gate, I was, I was interested in, in sustainability and, you know, how, how can we grow the, the most green way and how can we grow in the most sustainable way? And that immediately took me to hydroponics, aquaponics. So, you know, I was, that was sort of like, and, it, and it's a really interesting, cool technology, the idea that you can grow indoors in water, um, you know, and, and the, the plants respond amazingly, you know, it, it's vegetables have been, been capitalized on this technology for quite some time now and people are finding some some really good results great profits you know so i think the the technology is very appealing very attractive and it's 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 all the rage now right i mean especially with now cannabis being a, a major crop that that does well in these systems wow. um you know roses do really well you know so i, I think that there's it's it's we're sort of like, we kind of got on the ground floor a little bit on aquaponics, at least hydroponics has been around a little while, but aquaponics is kind of a new thing. And I guess, let me just give a quick little explanation about that. Yeah. And we'll share a link to a story you wrote this past summer that really explains it. Right. Um, I, I reread it this morning and I was like, okay, this is not confusing. It's 
yeah. super straightforward. But give yeah. us sort of the the short term, the short version, so people can catch up yeah. with you. I'll give you the quick and dirty, and and give you a quick comparison to why it's different than hydroponics, because I think a lot of people don't see that difference. But so aquaponics is is a, is actually ancient technology. Uh, you know, Aztecs, Chinese, ancient cultures were using this technology. It's essentially just mimicking a natural ecosystem, a pond or a lake. Okay, so fish are you know, fish, other aquatic organisms are, you know, habitat, you know, that's their habitat. They're, they're mm-hmm. swimming in there and they're excreting waste. And, you know, if they didn't, if something didn't happen to that waste, it would obviously be toxic to them. Um, but there are bacteria that exist in the soil, the water, the air that are uh, denitrifying bacteria. So they take fish waste or nitrogen waste, urea, you know, uh, ammonia, um, mm-hmm. and they convert it into a usable form of nitrogen that plants can absorb. And so basically the bacteria convert the nitrogen into a usable form. The plants absorb it, clean the water, and return the clean water to the fish. And that cycle just keeps going in perpetuity. And it's a stable, harmonious ecosystem, wow. right? Yeah. And so if nature has done it right, then why, why do anything different, right? Why, why, why not just copy that? And that's what we do in aquaponics. So we, we raise fish in aquaculture like you would be raising tilapia for a food, a food stock. And you're taking the wastewater and you're transferring that into a plant, basically what's a hydroponic system. And the, the plants are absorbing it and then you're returning it back to the fish in the fish tanks. And so you're essentially just doing the same thing. The difference now between hydroponics and aquaponics, though, is hydroponics, you're adding all of that nutrients manually yourself. The fish are not involved. And, right. and there's some nitrifying bacteria. And so... By doing that, yes, you can fine-tune the nutrient profile and you can get really good performance from the plants. But after a while, some of those nutrients and salts build up and you've got to purge the system. And so you have to get, get rid of that water somehow. And that water can't just be, you know, sloughed off into, you know... Uh, the garden rivers, or whatever. Rivers, streams, wherever. Yeah, yeah you can't do that. Um, and so... So it becomes... Another waste that you have to deal with uh, disposing of. It does. Of. Yeah. It, it does. It's, it's definitely very green. I don't want to negate the, 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 the hydroponics, organic green aspect of it. But, it. but aquaponics is that much more green because mm. you don't ever have to do that. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a perfectly balanced system. Occasionally, wow. you might have to supplement with a little bit of nutrients, but not really. And the only other input is fish food. So Got it. And which the It's fish a beautiful eat. system. Yeah. yeah, they just eat, you know, a lot of them can eat almost anything, really. You know, tilapia are like goats. They'll eat anything, so. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad they can't eat your weeds, but you don't have nice. weeds yes. because you're not growing in soil, right? There you go. There you go. And there's many advantages. Um, if people look at, you know, if people read the article, they'll see all those, but not not the least of which is you can save anywhere between 95 to 99% the water of the water that you would use in the field. Wow. And for those for those places like California, now, not currently, <laughs> yeah. they're getting not this yeah. week, but not, not this all week, week but the other weeks, all yeah. the other weeks of the year, they normally would be in, it'd be starving for water. And uh, so anyway, but this technology could be really useful in those places where water is very scarce. So, so yeah, so interesting. And um, I remember when I visited you both times I've been, you had a small greenhouse at the old property mm-hmm. and you had tanks set up with fish and you were doing trials but you're sitting in an environment that looks like a, I don't know, like a stadium. Like what, <laughs> Sarah, pick up the story. How yeah. did you end up where you are? And what is, when did that all happen? 
So Tom had been from the beginning um, reading about aquaponics and, and very soon into our flower farming journey was like, you know, I really want to try to, to, to create a system like this. I want to DIY a system to which I was sort of, okay, how much is this going <laughs> to married. You are married to a scientist. Come yeah, on. <laughs> I mean, I just was kind of like, can we just, just grow some zinnias this year? I mean, why do we have to always be so extra? Um, <laughs> or why do you have to be so extra? Yeah. Um, so I was, I was, <laughs> yeah, I am too. That just She's extra in her own way, right? <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, but I, so I was definitely not on board. I, yeah. I didn't really understand. I didn't see the, um, the point of spending a lot of money to, on a science experiment that really was going to, it was all money out and no money in. And, and to me, it just seemed like a silly endeavor. Um, and, but I trust my husband and I, I also believe that he's really, really smart and capable and I felt like there was enough room and freedom for me to explore areas of floral design, which I thought was really interesting. And that we just needed to support each other in these, mm -hmm. in these sort of areas of, of extreme interest um, because we were trying to cultivate a new lifestyle. Yeah. And that was about, you know, helping support each other. With that. Creativity. So, yeah. So I, I just, I just shut my mouth and just let him do his thing. And, um, and uh, my only stipulation was, um, if this, this system needs to scale, we're not, you're going to have to do it with grant money. Yeah. We're not, we're not going into my retirement account. We're not going into, we're not going to friends and family and asking for huge amounts of money, little, you know, a bits of money. I mean, he did do a GoFundMe um, once yeah. and got a little bit of funding to be able to pay for some I things. I think Deborah contributed to that. Yeah. I think I'm on your mailing list. I just saw you did an update. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, there was, there was a little bit of that, but, and, and he agreed to that. And so I was kind of like, you know, I can live with the, with the risk if it doesn't really, you know, eat into our, our ability to make any, uh, an income of some yeah. kind, at least pay yeah. our expenses at that point. Um, so he got busy and um, wrote grants, got one small $15,000 grant um, initially, which was definitely some motivation because he had been getting told no, 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 not a good idea, not for flowers. It will never work. We reached out to all kinds of very experienced flower people um, who also said the same things. Nope, not going to work. We just wow. don't think it's very useful. So there was, I mean, and when I say dozens of no's, I mean dozens of no's. And, yeah. um, and which is to be expected. You hear this all the time, right? When people have innovative ideas, they get told no a lot. Um, and he just persisted. He just would not, he's like, you know, he said, if I thought the idea was, was shaky, I might be um, reluctant to continue with all this negativity, but I know science. Mm -hmm. I know what I know. The, I'm following the science. The science doesn't lie. So these people just don't see it yet. What I see, mm -hmm. and so I'm you had to do. You had to do the the proof of concept, Tom. You had to show people who couldn't yeah. conceptualize this. Yeah, and so he just just kept going and kept going. It was such a. Um, a remarkable thing to watch. We're both very persistent people, but I got to see him really get motivated by that. So, so then he had applied for a, a grant through the state of Maryland through a, an organization called TEDCO. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to go into the whole story behind all of that, but essentially he was awarded in 2020 a, or 2021. I no, think we received it was it in 2020. 2021. Okay. We received the funds money. were dispersed in 2021 um, for $200,000 in unrestricted wow. funds. 
which meant that he was going to, he now had the money to be able to actually purchase and build a greenhouse that we're sitting in. Wow. And an an aquaponic system that was um, installed by a company out of Colorado called the Aquaponic Source. And he had been talking to them for a year and a half to two years before he got the funding. He was already planning that they were going to be the people he'd hire. To, to put it in. You have, I was you like, have why are you kind talking of to these people? You don't even have the money. This is, what are you talking to them for? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, um, so once it. that, once that happened, um, you know, that's like winning the lottery for a flower farmer, especially, um, we were now faced with what are we going to do because we're on one acre. Um, how, how big had- is the structure that you're in? 30, 30 by 60, so 1,800 okay. square feet. So it looks okay. big, it looks but it's big. not. It's very tall, it's, but it's, it's very, not yeah. as big as it. It's not ginormous. Right. You we didn't have the space for it at your own no. place. No. I yeah. mean, now that it's constructed here, had we tried to put this over there, it would have been an absolute monstrosity. There's no way we could have done it. There I were, mean, There were permitting issues. There was yeah, all kinds there was of no things. Way. We just couldn't get it done. Um, we actually had even contemplated working with our lessors from our leased field to see if we could use part of their space and actually... But we knew that there was risk in not owning the property and constructing something of this size. So basically, it was prompted by both the grant and then one afternoon with a, we had a really awful neighbor who um, was constantly fighting with us over where we were putting our flowers, which was ludicrous because it like a half an inch over onto a line that he created, he would have a hissy fit. Mm. And he spray painted our dahlias. Mm. Um, I didn't which, know that. Oh, oh my yeah. Gosh. Yeah, it was really, it was really traumatic. And I, we went out one day and there was just this long line across the back of the property and Tom had built a raised bed, which sat just inside of that line. And he was arguing that it was over the line. So he spray painted the whole dahlia bed where that was. <laughs> Literally and, marked a line in the sand, right? Like, yeah. And I, it was that day that I just, I said, I just, I literally burst into tears and I said, I said, that's it. Yeah. I said, we're, we're moving. I I don't want to be around this energy. We have this opportunity available to us that if we don't do this, we're going to have to give that money back. We'll never know what could have happened if we had just done it. So, um, yeah, so we just got, we got busy and we got busy fast. I mean, it happened really like lightning speed fast. So you were in, what town were you in? Boyd's? We were in Boyd's. Okay. And, and where are you now? So we're in a little town, about 7,000 residents in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is about 30 miles northeast, northwest of Washington, D.C., called Coolsville, okay. Maryland. Okay. Um, the irony is I lived here before my divorce and before I met Tom when I, I raised my daughter in this town. And wow. then once I was divorced, I had moved away, okay. sold my house here, and now I'm back. So it's kind of like a second Full circle <laughs> yeah sarah dakin point 2.0 in this town so sarah it's like what about 50 miles from where you used to be or is it no not even that it's probably okay. about 20 miles from yeah, where I, were. it was more of a more of a diagonal over mm-hmm. but but basically west west but, but from same, where county, we same, yeah. county. So same county same county you kept all your same markets and clients yeah. uh, and yeah. customers you just had how did you find this amazing property? I mean, was farmland is kind of rare, right? Yeah. We could have a separate podcast on the, on the property search alone. (laughs) Um, because I don't know, a lot of people will probably remember this, but last year at the, you know, sort of as COVID was sort of ramping down, but the, the housing market was just insane. Right. Um, here houses would go on the market and they would be 
snatched up in like less than 24 hours. Um, land, all, ca all cash offers, you know, yeah, like crazy right. stuff. You know, crazy. just crazy. Way of the and inspection so, and all of the whole yes. bit. I saw it in Seattle too. Yeah. yeah. So we were up against a, a very competitive market and we, um, we found a realtor that that is very well known to this particular area of, of Poolsville. That, that his family sort of owns a lot of land out here, and they're, they have very much their tentacles in agricultural um, real estate. So we hooked up with them and knew that and, and told them what we wanted to do, and they just advocated for us. They were like, "We're going to find you the right place." Wow. wow. Um, well, so the 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 area that we're in is called the Montgomery County Agricultural Reserve, and okay. it is a it's it's you know, law, the, the law, laws have been passed and, and it's been set up so that basically you can't really develop here. It, they want to keep it in agriculture and they want to keep farms afloat, keep them going. And then, you know, on top of that, they're trying to really promote the sort of agritourism aspect of, of a lot of these farms. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is why, you know, there's a lot of wineries around and, and, and uh, distilleries and, and breweries wow. and stuff. You know, so you it's check like, all the boxes. Then you're going to have flower events there. Exactly. I mean, right. and, and we're making partnerships with people in the area that have those breweries and things, and so we'll be coming to their properties, and they can come to ours. You know, it's 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 a really um, we're, we're we're following sort of the mantra that we always have, which is collaborate. Just always mm -hmm. collaborate. Work with everybody you can, and, and make connections with everybody you can, and good things will happen. Yeah, yeah. So, so we. Um, we found this property in part, we found it on the premise that we would be eligible for a land acquisition grant, um, which I have, you know, talked a little bit on social media. Mm -hmm. um, Tom actually found this program and it was a program intended for um, the next generation of agricultural farmers to get access to land. We didn't know at the time and the legislation wasn't written like this, but apparently it was really designed for younger generations of people who are already owners, right? So it was mm. passing land down and creating, incentivizing younger generations to get access to the land already owned by their ancestors. Their mm. The problem was, is that the, the law was not written so that it excluded people like us that didn't have land, you know, in our family. To start with, right. To, yeah, to apply. So of course we naively started that whole process, knew we met all the criteria because we were working with our ag extension and this property checked all the boxes. We made sure of that before we actually put in an offer. Um, and someday I will write all of the juicy details on this. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we ended up getting that grant, but not before a few gray hairs were um, sprouted from both of us. Because who's, who's going to who's going to play you in the movie, Sarah? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I don't know, but it better be somebody who's really like cantankerous and 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 does a really good job of being pissed off. <laughs> Um, I, I, I will tell you that it did come in handy that I had experience in work in, in these, in this, my former in career. litigation. <laughs> yes. Because I had to literally, we spent the better part of, of two weeks on vacation, um, writing letters to every legislator. Um, I was reading legislation, um, getting wow. finally an audience in front of the governor of Maryland wow. in order to get access to these funds. Um, it was nothing short of having to make heroic efforts to get it, which was great for us because we got the money um, and it helped us purchase this property. But what it left for us was a really just agitated about how hard it is for people in agriculture to get access to these, these kinds of funds. 
mm-hmm. and how the pathway and the entry into agriculture starts with where can you grow. Right. And for people who don't have access to land through their family or some other way, that impediment alone keeps people from pursuing this as a career. And our federal government does not actually really, they give lip service to supporting that, but they don't really do it. Well, this was, this was local government. Yeah. I mean, and I just, all levels of government. I was yeah. incensed by it to the point where we actually ended up having a meeting with the, with the sponsor of the legislation in our, in our local um, state. The state house, Senator, I house, think. Yeah. yeah. State Senator. Cause I was like, you need to know about what, why, you know, all of these different impediments, how this legislation was poorly written and why. Um, and what are you going to do to change it so that other people have access to this kind of funding? So I think advocacy is probably in our future. I'm thinking that. I'm thinking um, that, uh, yeah, Mrs. Dakin's going to Washington. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, this is this is something I feel really passionate about, and it sort of feel like there's I have a skill set here that I could actually be utilizing in yeah. a way to actually not just help us, but to help other people to change wow. the industry in a way that's really meaningful and impactful, right? So that's the short story. Well, There's thank much- you for sharing that. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, so yes, let's do something about that in the future because um, you're are so generous and you are transparent is benefit. This is a path they could take. You, you, you had to be gritty about it. You can't just, you know, it's nothing said to you. Um, okay, so that's a great story. You've got, you won that battle. Then you got the land. And that, when was that, Tom? Was that like a year ago about this time or? Yeah, it was, it was just about a year ago now. It was end of February. So we're coming up oh on, the, on, on one year. Not even a year. Not and even you, a year. You threw that structure up just like effortlessly, <laughs> it looks like. I, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give out a piece of advice right now to anybody out there. There's probably some there's probably some brave DIYers out there and flower farmers. I've met plenty of flower farmers who are like, yeah, let's bootstrap it, let's DIY it because we don't have a lot of money and we don't want to spend a lot of money. Um, if you think about putting up any kind of serious structure, maybe maybe talk to somebody. Maybe talk mm-hmm. to somebody first about mm-hmm. like, hey, what is this really going to take and like, what would it what would it require? Because well, yes, I learned so much in doing building. I built this structure with my dad, basically. It was him and I, and he flew out on six separate occasions. Shout out over, to dad. That's amazing. Yeah, both very, your parents are so supportive of that. Yeah, they really are. I, I can't, we can't even speak highly enough about them. Rocky Mountain Blooms is their farm in Colorado. My mom and dad, Terry and Diana. Are, we could, just, we wouldn't be sitting here without they've, them. They've done, I can't, yeah, we could have another podcast about that. Yeah. Awesome parents. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I had the hubris to believe that I could put this thing together with my dad and <sighs> it could be much harder than a, than a, than a hoop house, right? It dang near broke me. It really did. I had a lot, I actually shed some tears over this place because it just, I mean, it's just logistically very challenging, but also it was in, the weather wasn't great. And we were trying to farm while we were building this, like in the fields. But you wanted it up for the 2022 season. So the clock was ticking, right? Right. The sooner you could get it up, the sooner it could be functional, the sooner we could get the system built inside of it. You know, there, it really was like, hey, this is, the money's there. Let's get it. Let's make it happen. So over the period of, you know, end of February, we moved thousands of perennials from our old property, which was a nightmare, uh, but we did it. <laughs> um, we built, we were in the process of building the greenhouse. We cut a whole new field, about, I think, an acre's worth of, of field, 
to so, so we could actually get some plants in the ground, um, put up a deer fence, uh, drilled a well, built a pump house and did the plumbing, did, put new electrical in. We built a, 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 what is it, a 30 by 50 pavilion, outdoor pavilion, open air pavilion, where we put our 10 by 20 walk-in cooler. I mean, just think about every piece of infrastructure that just mind you would blowing. want. It yeah, is yeah. that you would want on a, on a flower farm, right? Like you, these are things, we need a flower processing facility. We need a walk-in. We need, you know, hoop houses and greenhouses. And I just fields. remember that little tiny walk-in cooler, like we're next to your garage back in the yeah. old place. You still have we, it. We, we, we thought do. it was so spacious. It's I so, know. It was so I know. cute. So quaint. It's still so cute. We, we still have it. It's sitting in our driveway. It's a backup. Yeah, it's a backup for but, us. But, but, but yeah, you saw it. You saw where wow. we came from. Very humble beginnings. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, we're, we're going big. And yeah. all these things had to happen. And so we secured the the financing. We got a, a, a farm improvement loan from Mid-Atlantic Farm Credit, now Horizon Farm Credit, which is an amazing bank. And I encourage anybody to, to take advantage of them because they're, they love farmers. They we support farmers. We need to find farmers. a bank that's going to support an agricultural business. Right. And, it's it's um, a unique niche. You, it's very yeah. unique and they have programs in place that will help you with the seasonality and the, 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 the extracting Cap and retracting of income, right? You need Which, capital. The cash, the cash flow. Yeah. yeah. Cash flow. And you need capital. You have to have money to put in. And, and unfortunately, while we did make some money in 2022, the expenses were yeah. astronomical, but yeah. that's what you need. If you're going to really scale and grow in volume, you're going to have to have, you're going to have to build. Yeah, it was, so, it was it was kind of like just go big or go home kind yeah. of situation. Now, you know, I'd be honest with you. When we first started looking for property, we weren't thinking about 34 acres at all. We Five we, to 10. We were yeah. like five to 10 would be enough because, you know, we knew that you could grow a lot on, on small oh, space. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so 34 felt like huge and it is. Um, yeah. But. Wow. It's, it's, but it's it was, forever. It was a unique property <laughs> because it was in this area, in Montgomery County, outside of DC, there is a lot of wealth. Um, and there is a lot of people who have, who amass properties of like 25 acres or more generally build these huge mansions on them. Right. Mm -hmm. And this particular house just had a small, very modest house on it. And it, nothing had really, I mean, we've had to do a couple of upgrades to it. It was built in the eighties. No, no one had done anything <clears throat> to it. Excuse me. But we didn't care about mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that had seen this property were either wanted it for some big, huge brewery distillery mm. um, program or opportunity, or they wanted to tear the whole house down and just build this huge monstrosity of a, a mansion on it. Yeah. Um, and we didn't want to do either of those things. And the people yeah. that owned it before us, the woman had been here over 30 years, and they were very much wanted for us to have it because we were flower farmers. That's so cool. <laughs> we were going to do something cool. She was a gardener and she was like, this is what, how I want this land to be used. Well, back to what you said about your um, your real estate agent was advocating for you. So you, you had to kind of sell the sell the seller right. on, on Grateful Gardeners. Right. We kind of did. did. We did. And, and, and they were very, they were more generous than we could have asked for because that grant program they were the, the 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 apparent delays that they were trying to sort of bake into the process, which we got figured out. Um, it, we would have lost the house had we gone by the timeline that the state of Maryland was requiring. Wow! It was it required working outside of those parameters and and getting around some you know finding authority to make exceptions to those, wow. which 
which I was, I, you know, I was able to do. Um, yeah. but yeah, anyway. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay. I have all kinds of aspirations for you, Sarah, maybe secretary of agriculture would be really helpful, <laughs> you know, but I can't but, grow flowers. I can't grow yeah. flowers. Yeah, exactly. Stick with your, yeah. stick with your dream. Um, okay. So you have the game plan for the aquaponics. You've now you're building and getting close to being kind of at a good place for your infrastructure. I know you probably have ma many more ambitions, but tell, tell me what you grew. Like what I know you jumped right in because you didn't want to waste the season. Right. Yeah, we did. Um, you know, unfortunately, the timing wasn't great because like at the end of February, I mean, you really should be having a lot of your seeds getting ready yeah. for the the, the, yeah. the spring planting. Um, yeah. Yeah, obviously, we couldn't overwinter anything because <laughs> we didn't have access to the property. It was your down um, seat. You're, you're, you're yeah. off year. Yeah. 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 I mean, and so it, it, we really we were we were behind the eight ball when we started and our spring suffered because of it. Um, we had bought, you know, I don't know. Well, we had tulips that we had planted over at the other field, the least field. So we were able to at least go back and harvest those and, and get some of that revenue. But we had tons of ranunculus and anemone that we had tried to get in the ground and, you know, they pre-sprouted okay, but man, just got them in too late, nothing. I think. Yeah. And nothing came. So nothing we lost, came. we lost that entire no crop. No poppies, no delphinium. I think we just got them in too late. We had I mean, by mid-March, it was getting too hot here. We had a we had a good crop of snaps because we had we had bought some plugs and and we had you know a few thousand snaps and that helped, um, but they were pretty late too. So mm -hmm. you know the spring really devastated us. We we mm -hmm. definitely took a hit and and you know that's that was hard. Yeah. We we <laughs> we had some pain over that. It was, but at the same time, and looking back on it, I mean, I, he while he you know part of the struggle for for me was that Tom and his dad were so focused on the greenhouse that he was sort of out of pocket for me. I mean, I, I was sort of managing the field stuff because he was yeah. over here building stuff. Um, so we you were trying to get some stuff in the ground for summer. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, we, yeah. well, we tried, we, we got an employee who was like a gift from God, um, Sophie, um, who had actually found us and had reached out to us the previous fall and said, I want to work on a flower farm. And I've got from March until July. And she was um, a University of Georgia horticulture graduate. Um, first in her class. I mean, she was just uh, outstanding and she'd worked on flower farms before. So it was like this gift that we didn't even realize we had until wow. she, she moved here from Georgia to work for us. Wow. Um, and she was just amazing. We love her so much. So having her here, it was like, I didn't even have to train her. I, I could just say, we got to cut these fields. We, you know, here's the dimensions we need to get, you know, I showed her, gave her one lesson on the tractor, let her go, you know, just, and, and we had come up with a field plan um, and you know, I think one day in early March, we just sat in the garage on two rainy days and seeded about, you know, 500 seed trays, um, and, and started taking dahlia cuttings and just was like, I'm like, you know what, like, you know, fail fast, switch gears. If spring's not happening, we need to get summer and we need to get dahlias moving because we lost about half of our tubers in the move. Yeah. We just couldn't um, pay attention. We couldn't yeah. pay attention to yeah. them in they, the storage. They they froze and rotted. It was like a freeze thaw thing, and and we just I just had to toss them. So, you know, it was a lot of scrambling. But at the end of the day, we ended up having a fairly robust. Um, you know, right now we have uh, three separate primary growing annual fields. There are twelve rows of a hundred feet each, so around twelve hundred square feet times three. Okay. Um, wow. 
Yeah, and I think two of those were pretty filled up really nicely. We had a great lisianthus crop. Um, we had, um, you know, all the all the regular stuff, sunflowers, yeah. zinnias, you know, cosmos, all that stuff. Um, a lot of amaranthus, um, ageratum, stuff like that. And then we really sort of leaned hard into our dahlia field. Um, we got about 10,000 plants in the ground. Um, half of them were from cuttings because we had lost m most of it. So, you know, from March until mid-May when we planted, we, had, we were able to propagate successfully around 5,000 cuttings. Can I, I know about this, but I just am curious. Uh, can you get flowers from a... Dahlia that's been propagated as a cutting and not a tuber in the oh, first yeah. season. Okay. Oh yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Is it comparable to uh, oh, yeah. what a tuber would produce? Wow. Yes. Well, you know, an overwintered plant maybe yeah. would have a have an advantage because yeah. it might have a second season and, and more more energy and more storage. But but generally speaking, from like a single tuber or a, or a rooted cutting, those will, those will bloom comparably. Yeah. That's mind blowing. Yeah. yeah. And then the tubers. I mean, the cuttings. Then one season, you know, they start they produce their own. So you're right. Those tubers are usually less robust than if you had planted a full tuber at, you know, and then it multiplied in the ground over the season, the cutting tubers tend to be a little bit smaller, but you know, yeah. Size doesn't matter when it comes to tubers. No. So you can, it's just as successful. So we went really hard into, yeah. into, um, into dahlias. And so we, and we had probably our best dahlia season that we've ever had. And that was without knowing what we had because right. we were just, I was like, throw caution to the wind. I'm not going to label all this stuff. I had been so fastidious trying to really niche down, right, on what we had. Your and which palette, the yeah. And, you know, expand only certain varieties. And then I was like, Sophie and I were looking at these boxes and boxes of tubers and cuttings. And I said, you know what? We're going to just throw it all in the ground and see what happens because we don't have time for this. Just get it in the ground. And, and, and it was, it turns out that completely accidentally it the, there were all sorts of varieties all over i mean it, the, the the variety of of dahlias was just like a smattering of beauty so for the purposes of just like aesthetics yeah for photography it was, oh it was beautiful it was oh, really stunning cool. yeah so um you, you kind of were on a parallel track then while you were getting trying to get the this the fields planted Tom was running trials in the greenhouse, right? Is that kind well, of with, with trying to trying to build it, really? Oh, build, oh you're still building it. Okay. Yeah, oh, we, yeah, we got it. We got it built and and was functional by the beginning of July, and the system got installed at the beginning of July, and then I spent the rest of the season, the next two months, just trying to get the system up and running in terms of get the fish in, get the the cycling going, um, you know, get the biochemistry right. Um, it was very challenging, and it is mm -hmm. a challenging aspect of aquaponics to try and get the system started and once it's started it's not so hard to maintain but that start is it's challenging. like your sourdough starter but way more complicated right right um, once you get the starter the, going it's good and then the the recent re research that you just published in a, a, a scientific journal that you sent uh you mentioned um this specific trial you did with dahlias and right. um we don't have to go all the way into it, but it, I'm just curious, is it's dahlias and lisianthus is kind of what you're going to go deep into. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, so, so the real idea here is that if we're going to pursue this, let's pursue it with crops that are in high demand. First of all, you can fetch 
a pretty high price per stem for them. Both dahlias and lisianthus can do that. Um, dahlias, of course, are kind of the local secret weapon because they really don't ship and imports are just subpar. Right. And so a local product will always be superior. Um, yeah. So you have that advantage there. Um, and then lisianthus, of course, are amazing. You know, super long base life and just, you know, a beautiful sub for roses. And, and They don't come at the perfect time. So one of, one of the tricks of lisianthus is figuring out how we could get them to bloom year round in in a season here, which seasonally would be different from how normally they're, they're a July bloom here. Right. But if they were like May, June, then oh you'd God. have a, a premium product. You would, or you or could, in the, in the winter, in the months, fall, even I mean, in the fall. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really, the, that is the ultimate goal of, of this type of growing. It's, it's, it's growing green and organic but via the aquaponics, but then in a controlled environment where we can control lighting, we can control temperature, all the things that would dictate how and when uh, flowers bloom. Um, and so I think that was, that is the goal ultimately. I think right now what we're really trying to do is just make as much money as we can off of the <laughs> entire system and the structure, because right now it's just bleeding us. Yeah. Cost yeah, you gotta, yeah. It's costing a lot of money to heat this big thing behind us. Oh my God. I, I don't think we, I don't think we really fathomed how bad that would be. Yeah. Um, some people tried to tell us, but we were just like, eh, maybe it won't be that bad. Can you I mean, use Tom, the, Tom bought I'm the greenhouse. It, 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 you know, it comes with a propane heater. It's just presumed that you're going to use that heating mechanism. And I think the goal is that he's going to start seeking funding for a solar, um, well, renewables, uh, you know, and let's figure out how to get this system, not dependent on, on propane, um, which right now, in, when it's really cold, and it was right before the holidays, and that cold snap. Um, yeah. It was costing us around seven hundred dollars a week to heat the greenhouse. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of money, yeah. and yeah. you know this is why a lot of people. Again, it's another impediment to 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 the entry into winter growing in climates that don't just facilitate it. I love that you're just always pushing the envelope and you're like, okay, this sucks. We're not going to, we don't want to pay $700 a week to heat this. So let's get some renewable energy to, you know, harness sunlight and, or whatever yeah. else you're, you're looking at. That's great. Yeah, we have, I mean, we have a lot of really uh, good advantages when it comes to renewables. Wind is a really reliable source here as oh, well. Right. You get right. crazy wind here. So yeah. I think we could definitely capitalize on that. Some people are doing a lot of geothermal, which unfortunately you have to plan that before you actually build the structure. <laughs> oh, you, you, you don't want to, you don't want to exhume the, the foundation. Yeah, you know, I don't want to like break the foundation <laughs> no, down no, no, now no. and put it back in. You got but, a big concrete slab here. That's for your next, that's for your next greenhouse. <laughs> right. Which I will have plenty. So, but you know, I, I think that, you know, sort of getting at, at what you were suggesting, which is we've kind of got two parallel businesses running now. Right. We've got Grateful Gardeners, which is a very traditional cut flower farm and, and still organic and sustainable, but it's field grown. And, and there's some things that I think are very unique to that business, which is, you know, sort of embracing um, uh, sort of the beauty of, of the space which is something my wife is very keen on. She likes, she likes a clean, organized, tight, neat space. <laughs> and I was always like, well, I, we have the money, I guess. I don't know. But, but I'm starting to come around and appreciate the fact that, you know, aesthetically, if something looks good, people want to come. Yeah, people want to come brand. here. It is. Mm -hmm. It's part of our brand. And, and then it becomes like kind of an event space. You can have workshops. I think one of the big things I think you'll appreciate is, is we're going to have um, some very well-known designers 
have workshops here on site awesome. this year. That's awesome. We can't wait for that. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be exciting. You know, we've got some work to do on on just, and we're working on it this winter. One of the things I told him is, you know, we need to make that cooler pavilion space cute because it just doesn't look cute right now. It's functional. It's very functional and that's fine. Tom loves things to function well, and that's great. They have to function first, and then they need. Then right. we make them cute. And then we make. Then them you cute. can tart them up. I get it. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, but the, the the property that we're on has has um, opportunities for aesthetics, just baked in because we have a mm. huge pond in our backyard. We could mm. utilize space, um, and there's a lot of open spaces that where you could facilitate you know you could make like gatherings. a wildflower pasture you yeah know? you can make a you pick section yeah you can... so you know you don't have to make the structures all don't have to be cute but you know i i've been to plenty of flower farms and some are just like ooh, you know i mean you wouldn't want to have a i mean they're they they grow beautiful things but you wouldn't necessarily find them very inviting it's utilitarian yeah. you know yeah, yeah. they're not ex you know? they're not experiences the way right you want so them. right so yeah. so we we have the grateful gardeners business which i think is more focused on you know, that aspect, the property itself. Mm -hmm. And then we've created Floroponics because that is more focused on the technology and expanding that and really making that sort of the, I would say that is like more of a financial driven uh, endeavor, you yeah. know, gr growing at the volume and at the capacity and year round and all the things that you get from that to sort of help us fund, you know, the, the things that are more that are more mission driven, um, yeah, you know, yeah. obviously the advocacy, the, the, the ability to push the slow flowers movement, um, the ability to have a beautiful space that is inviting where we can do education and workshops. And so I, I think that that's really why we've diverged. And now we have two sort of, as you said, parallel projects, yeah, so smart. Um, two different missions. And, and unfortunately the, the, the floroponics, as it is, as, as the technology is, and as we've mentioned, is very, it's very capital intensive. Yeah. It, it's, we need money. We just need yeah. a lot of money to, to really get it going and get it up to the scale that we need. And so that's why I'm out there trying to seek equity investment for Floroponics. Uh, you know, we're always going to do the grant stuff. I'm always going to be pursuing that and hopefully we'll get some more money that way, but it's, it's, it's a grind. And yeah. it's, you need, you need low. financial, uh, resources and partners that uh, believe in this technology and there's and you know the the great thing about it is there's a lot of people out there i guess when i should say people companies mm -hmm. you know that are, are 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 really coming around on the local you know mayesh we, we've mm -hmm. had those conversations with mayesh and and they are very interested in in supporting the local a local supply and yeah and you know i i when when they have when we have the big dogs you know helping us out and giving us that support it means everything that's neat. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, just keep pushing, you know, yeah. gently in some cases, a little harder in others to, to just, um, just, you know, educate and then, um, you know, push back on some of these, these, um, you know, these impediments that are actually yeah. baked into the, to, into yeah. the, into the law, um, and they're into the systems that have been created to support certain types of agriculture and not others. Um, so when you feel like you're up against a, a really strong headwind, if you want to make a, a living at this career, it's not just you. It's because the system hasn't been created for it to be easy for you. Right, right. And, and it, takes, it takes the fearless people who keep questioning the status quo Oh yeah, to break that 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 glass ceiling that's holding you down. So and honestly, that that whole grant 
land acquisition process. While I, you know, have I, you know, lost a few years of my life in the frustration around getting it, it it really served to, you know, pull the curtain back on just even not that I didn't know this, um, yeah. but what I didn't wasn't prepared for is that I think the expectation is like, oh, well, we'll just tell these people, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that, and they're going to go away, and most people would. Yeah, and I said, you know, unfortunately. Uh, for you, I'm not going away because yeah. I know I know that there are ways around these things, and you can't tell me I I don't know that, right? But again, wanting to advocate for other people to be able to have that kind of that wherewithal to, to or someone to advocate for them without having to hire an attorney, right? To go do it, right? <laughs> um, you know, it shouldn't be that hard, right? And but that's it back. Is. I I hope that that uh, plays out. And what I sense you're saying is like at some point you you're going to have more time to devote to advocacy and outreach yeah. and kind of education on that. I mean, hey, we, we, our goal is to get all the flower farmers, you know, like to, to really create an, a, a, an American floriculture um, mass movement. And yeah. the only way to do that is with capital. Yeah. And you can get some of that through getting consumers to shift and spend their money differently, but you cannot do it if the federal government is putting all their money somewhere else. You can't. And so you've got to have people at that level who are willing to you know, go to members of Congress and go to people and state legislatures and start demanding that they put their money where their mouth is when it comes to agriculture and floriculture specifically. So I feel really strongly about it. I don't know. We'll have to keep talking about it. Yeah, for sure. Wow. By the way, this was just fantastic. I love you guys. I Thank could you, just Debra. bottle you and drink you. You're just so full of uh, just in, in inspiration. Debra, we cannot. We cannot wait to come to Seattle. Can I just tell you? Yeah. I'm like. That's gonna be. We're amazing. so excited to like just be on in your little oh, nest. I'm thrilled. <laughs> it's gonna be a great conference, and um, yep. I was so thrilled that you guys are making the. I know a big investment to come. So thank That's you. That's the for one that. conference we just were like we just that needs to be a priority. I, well, I got. Year. I have to tell you the, the 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 one in New York was phenomenal. Outstanding. Phenomenal. The, the Stone Barns. I mean, so good. Just blew my mind. I know. Mind. And you can't really, it's like you can't say, well, we're going to top this because every one of them is different. But, um, yeah. so much for joining us today. You'll find the replay video of today's episode 593 at slowflowerspodcast.com, as well as a short bonus video, a tour of the new Grateful Gardeners greenhouse and aquaponics flower growing system that Tom filmed for us. I'll also share photos and links to Tom's recent article and scientific report about aquaponics for flowers. 
Okay, thanks so much to our next sponsor, Details Flowers Software, a platform specifically designed to help florists and designers do more and earn more. With an elegant and easy-to-use system, Details improves profitability, productivity, and organization for floral businesses of all shapes and sizes. Grow your bottom line through professional proposals and confident pricing with Details All-in-One Platform. All friends of the Slow Flowers podcast will receive a seven-day free trial of Details Flowers software. Learn more at detailsflowers.com. I also want to remind you that the registration continues for the 2023 Slow Flowers Creative Writing Workshop, and we've just extended the $100 discount through Sunday, January 22nd. This online course begins on January 28th and is designed to help you gain confidence with content as a writer. Sign up for the Slow Flowers Creative Workshop Floral Storytelling and receive the following. Three modules, 10 lessons, 19 worksheets, four writing templates, two guest editor sessions, four weekly Q&As during my office hours, and a 28-page workbook called The Journey from Blog to Book. Plus, you'll enjoy a bonus module that I recorded with Bloom Imprint's creative director, Robin Avni, called Visual and Verbal Storytelling. The course is typically priced at $297, and we will extend the $100 off discount through Sunday, January 22nd. Join our highly motivated group of students who have already signed up, florist designers, flower farmers and growers, gardeners and flower lovers who want to be better floral storytellers. The link and discount code can be found in today's show notes and also in the link tree menu at Slow Flower Society on Instagram. Our final sponsor thank you goes to Cal Flowers, the leading floral trade association in California, providing valuable transportation and other benefits to flower growers and to the entire floral supply chain in California and 48 other states. The association is a leader in bringing fresh cut flowers to the U.S. market and in promoting the benefits of flowers to new generations of American consumers. Learn more at cafgs.org. Thanks so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than one million times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowerssociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. I'll see you then.